everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday. That means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Wrap and Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, write for Slash Film. I am a film critic. Bonafide uh, Godzilla obsessive. He's bonafide. Al- although... Wouldn't you know it, this is my first time watching Mothra. Yeah, we hit this yeah. weird pocket of Godzilla history. Which, which I am loving, by the way. Oh, yeah. uh, because my experience with Godzilla, and, mm-hmm. and we mentioned this on, on this podcast before, mm-hmm. was going straight from Godzilla Raids Again, which was the second Godzilla film, mm-hmm. to King Kong vs. Godzilla, which is the third Godzilla film. But there was like a pretty there big was, space. There was, yeah, there was like an like six to eight year gap in there yeah. between those movies. And by the time you get to King Kong versus Godzilla, it's in color, mm-hmm. it's widescreen. Uh, the, the aesthetic tone is very, the changed, tone is, yeah. is very different. The, the aesthetic is completely different. And I thought it was sort of this sudden flash of creativity. Mm. What I'm seeing is the evolution mm-hmm. from Godzilla raids again to King Kong versus Godzilla in a lot of these movies. The, the movie we covered last week, uh, Varan the unbelievable, Mm. Uh, was a, a cheap side project. Yeah. Low budget, still in black and white. Mm. Uh, when they released it in the States, they reshot all this new footage, all these new characters are in it. Much worse film, if you ask me. Mm. Uh, and then we're back to something like Mothra, which is kind of nailing the aesthetic. It's gigantic, uh, we had, it's mm, colorful. It's a little bit sad and bleak. Yeah. Uh, which I really appreciate. So it has that kind of melancholy that comes with a lot of the early, uh, the first Godzilla movie and some mm-hmm. some of the Godzilla films along the way. But you take Mothra and you take the Please, silly, take Mothra. and you take the silliness of something like the Mysterians, which is about alien invasion. You blend those things together, and that's where Godzilla kind of starts to evolve. Yeah, because Godzilla is a wonderful blend of somber and completely absurd. Yeah. It's a gigantic monster, and it becomes kind of ridiculous after all. Well, and, and it's and it's just if you look at it objectively, like take mm. out the context of the story. Yeah, what it is is a guy in a monster costume, Stomping busting down, like, busting down set. like yeah. a train set, basically. Like it's absurd on the face of it, mm. but that's true for a lot of things, isn't it? And it's once we apply. Context, theme, narrative, character, that things that would be silly on their own become deeply meaningful. That's true for Godzilla. That's true for all of these motion pictures. And again, a lot of, if you're looking back at them today, you look at a film like Godzilla, Rodan, Mothra, Mysterians. If you're raised on almost exclusively modern filmmaking, especially modern blockbuster filmmaking... Mm. You're going to find the style and the visual effects and the costumes and things perhaps to look a little naive. A little, little different from what we're used to. Certainly anyway, different yeah. from what we're used to, but they're not as, uh, they're not as polished. Uh, they're not as photorealistic in some ways in terms of... I mean, they're, they're photographed, but you know what I mean? They're not as uh, deceptive to the naked eye. Like, you can tell they're miniatures. But there's a magic to that. Yeah. That is... Just absolutely wonderful to be transported to. And when you get wrapped up in the story and when you get wrapped up in what these stories are actually talking about, because there's actual real thought put into these, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> 
that that's not it doesn't matter that it's kind of silly that there's yeah. a giant moth attacking fake New York. <laughs> it's it's actually awesome and sad yeah. and well, poignant and it's great. There seems to be, uh, and this is what I miss from a lot of American blockbusters, even some of the better ones. Mm-hmm. There is a kind of joyous enthusiasm for the material. Yeah. Uh, I get a sense from a lot of, uh, from Ishida Honda especially, but from a lot of the other filmmakers who also made uh, these these kaiju movies, mm. uh, a, a certain kind of thrill to be working on them. Yeah. Uh, and a, a just a, taking all of the ridiculousness naturally in stride and having fun with it. We're not ashamed of it. Yeah. We're not ashamed I, of I it. We're a, not, we don't, we don't have to hide behind plausibility. Yeah. I, I, I get this sense from a lot of uh, American blockbusters, especially the ones starting in like the 1980s when those mm. sort of like big mm. commercial entertainments started to calcify as a trend. Interesting. Uh, that they were aiming for cool mm. rather think... than fun. And, uh-huh. and those are different things. And There's I feel, overlap. And I yeah. feel like those things are, like are kind of incompatible in a lot of ways. I think what happened in the eighties was mm. a series of films came out, mostly star Wars, but also Superman mm. Raiders of the lost Ark, And we started to see that through the use of contemporary visual effects, contemporary sound design, new advancements in the technical craft of filmmaking, mm. that the lighting, editing, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, animatronics, stop motion animation, mm. mats, digital, the, the birth of CGI. It became possible for the first time, perhaps, uh, to take concepts, fantastical concepts, science fiction concepts, Things that do not exist in the real world, and, and nor could they. They're too gigantic mm. and broad. It became possible to film them and make them look plausible. Mm. And once it became possible to make them look realistic, mm. to make them look like something well, that well, actually is real, we no longer more, have at to... At least more in- real than before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a generalization, but I think on some level we stopped concerning ourselves with activating a sense of childlike wonder in our audience Mm. to make sure that they're on the right wavelength to enjoy visual effects that maybe aren't super convincing. Now the visual effects are super convincing and we can just tell a quote-unquote realistic story against those backdrops. And the types of stories that we could tell change. And listen, there's a lot of great movies that we got out of that. Oh, yeah. You know, we got got RoboCop out of that, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's also... A, a sense of a sense of wonder mm. that I think fewer films were aiming for, and I think yeah. a lot of the movies that we fall in love with in the multiplex, even today, even relatively recently, are the ones that manage to capture that sense of wonder. Mm. Because not every movie's trying anymore. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why uh, critics lost their minds for the most recent Spider-Man f- film. Yeah, it's like uh, across the universe, acro- acro- yeah. across the Spider-Verse. I'm sorry, across yeah. the Spider-Verse. Across the universe is the Beatles musical, oh, which was also lovely. A, a Spider-Man Beatles musical? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not, not going to go there. No, don't, don't, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Taylor make a Spider-Man? She did. I, 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 that was <laughs> oh, okay. the joke. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew that. I was. Oh, all right. Julie uh, Taymor did the Spider-Man musical. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, yeah. uh, which I've seen. Um, <laughs> Live. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag about that until I die. I'm uh, jealous. Remember that really awful Spider-Man musical? I saw it on Broadway. Nice. Um, 
No, I, I agree that the, this this idea that um, we're using cinema as a catalyst for wonderment is something that's not really there. And I, I feel like it's been absent from a lot of... And, I, and I'm criticizing American films in particular on this. Yeah. Because it, th- this idea of cool is a very American concept. Um, yeah. once, he, you have that, a, once you have a scene explaining mm. why Batman's helmet has ears yeah. because it's practical. Mm. I think on one hand, yeah, okay, you thought that out. It's not even mm. all that implausible, but also I didn't care. <laughs> he dresses That's, like a bat. That's because fine. Because he yeah. dresses like a bat. Like we, we, that can't be enough, you with know. With a character like Batman, we've been with him so long, they have to start explaining that stuff because yeah. people are just asking that question now. Yeah, all, you were never supposed it's to like, ask that question, yeah. and now it's all we can think to ask because like, we've asked everything else. Look, they, they invented Batman in the 1930s so they could sell bubblegum ads to kids. They didn't expect <laughs> to be writing Bibles 70 years later. It's. It's like now it's really important. It's like this cultural. Fulcrum. Does anyone even remember the gum? No. <laughs> Was the gum any good? The comic book sold for a penny. It's I like who, who the fuck cares? But yeah. yeah. Now people are drawing maps of Metropolis and shit. It's like yeah. nobody cares. Anyway, uh, so, Mothra. But Mothra. Yeah. Has that little kid wonderment. Yeah. That is a, a vital part and a, pers- a a pretty consistent part mm-hmm. of. The Godzilla movies, all the way through like the seventies, and it's really interesting because we started with the original Gojira, mm. uh, which was our first episode of Thank Godzilla It's Friday. Uh, was again, it's a very dour, very somber movie. Has a lot on its mind. It is not mm. looking at Godzilla as something wondrous. Looking at Godzilla as something terrifying. Yeah, and it works. It's a great movie. A lot of the Mysterians, notwithstanding, it's kind of like a kind of an offshoot kind of thing. It's but like the, the Saturday morning serial version of well, well, the kaiju this. element is kind of gone quickly in that movie and it becomes a different thing there, there is a kaiju there in is it, kaiju but it's, but it's, it's gone it's gone yeah. after like minute 30 it's it's mm-hmm. done but you know when you look at all the other ones that we've seen so far rodan Veron, Veron and all the others we're seeing a, a, a sort of a pattern emerge in terms of and even the mysterians as well uh here's an overwhelming threat we could not have predicted Mm-hmm. And then it's just going to be almost a procedural, really, as scientists and military guys come in and try to figure out how to solve the problem. The problem is always kill the monster. Mm-hmm. With Mothra, we start seeing that formula get playful. And we start seeing new elements added to it and changed. It's got a very different ending than any of the monster movies we've had so far on the series. It's a musical with with uh, established pop stars, yes, the Peanuts, the Peanuts, yeah, there uh, there were two. You, you can get Peanuts records at yeah. uh, Amoeba here in yeah. Hollywood. Not not the Charles Schultz comic strip. There was no, an actual... the, the Peanuts. They're a singing duo, actual sisters. Yeah, uh, sold as twins. They're three years apart. Yeah, uh, they, they, they they look, look like they look, they look like they yeah. could be the same age. But yeah, mm. uh, three years is not that much. Uh, but, um, yeah, they actually enlisted, this would be like, oh, hey, we're going to do King Kong versus Godzilla in the monster verse mm-hmm. in like 2020 or whenever the fuck we did that. And, uh, yeah, oh, who's going to be in it? Oh, I don't know. Fucking Lady Gaga and Well, you, you need Bush. a, you need a duo. You get the white yeah. stripes or something. No, maybe no, not the white stripes. Probably. I don't even know. Who's a duo anymore? Uh, look, uh, my, my pop, <laughs> pop knowledge. I'm, I'm gonna she say she and him. I'm gonna say Ali and AJ, and that's like twenty fucking years old at We're this point. We're gonna get Paula so. Abdul and DJ Scat Cat <laughs> to come in and star in Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, suit up, Mothra. <laughs> 
I take two steps forward. Uh, uh, (laughs) If you don't know what we're talking about, by the way, we are very old. Look up the musical with Paula Abdul. And MC Scat Cat. Yeah, she, she had a musical that was a duet. With a, a musical, very cool cat, a, a single. It was a oh, I'm sorry, single, it was yeah. a music. It was a music video. That's right. It's a music video. That's just her singing and dancing with a very sexy anthropomorphic cat, an animated cat. Yeah, yeah and, it's and, great. And she would dance in the. That was uh, a and, cultural event when that came out. Oh, it was a big deal. Oh yeah. Well, I, mean, I mean, Forever Your Girl, the Paul Abdul record oh, from 1988. I think. It, it broke all kinds of records. I it's think gigantic. like like six or seven of the songs from that record became like hit singles. Oh yeah, because that was also uh, Cold Hearted Snake. Oh, um, Cold Hearted Snake. Uh, that that album's pretty unassailable. Oh, that's a great album. <laughs> no, 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 no notes. No, honestly, no, no yeah. criticism of Forever Your Girl. Yeah, love Paul, Paul Abdul. Abdul. Yeah. Like seriously, a lot of respect. That <laughs> that's that's your thinking when it comes to like the pop duo that will <laughs> sing Mothra. <laughs> Out of her cocoon. Hey, that would be amazing. Um, the pl- Jesus. Okay, you, here's you the- get Deont Ward. There you go. Something we're gonna, really we're gonna weird. go through it in great detail, but here's the basic plot of Mothra. Some people are following along. Uh, I have a list on my letterboxed account. Just look up my name, William Bibiani, and you can see the list of the movies we're planning to cover on this podcast. If you want to watch along, I know some people are. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch Mothra, here's the gist of it. Uh, a uh, group of people get stranded on an island, and this island has been used for nuclear testing. And yeah. they would expect anyone who spent any amount of time on this island without a hazmat suit to be dead. Yeah, it's called Infant Island. Yeah, which is apparently doesn't mean anything. They just like the sound of that name. Mm. Um, the filmmakers, I mean. But everyone on this island is fine. And it turns out that they say that we survived because the locals on the island, Mm. who shouldn't be there, uh, gave us like a magic fruit juice that made it so we can survive radiation poisoning. So they send an expedition Mm. to this island. Shades of King Kong all over the world. Oh, very very directly inspired by King Kong, Mm. actually. They send an expedition to this island to investigate what the hell is going on. Uh, Along the way, they pick up uh, a newspaper reporter and a who's who's a funny he's like a almost a comic relief guy but he's very he's he's, he's very good at what he does he's, he's a good reporter and he's the kind of character who seems like he should have been in like a bunch of other movies prior to this because they he actually gets a big reveal uh when they're fun, like there's some officials in a room and they're talking about what's going it's like radiation go to expedition to this island secret information reporters are there and they turn to this guy and they pull his mask off and he kind of mugs at the camera a little bit. And it's supposed to be just this establishing shot, but it seems like that's like a cheer moment for the audience. Like, we're supposed to know who that is. Well, that might actually be uh, uh, kind of time playing tricks on us, because who that is is Frankie Sakai. Okay. Who was a pretty well-known actor. I'm actually not 100% sure, like, when his career specifically took off, but he'd been already in a bunch of movies. Okay, well, so I he- mean... He, he was a kind of a big deal. He was, There's a, a lot of recognizable actors in this. Uh, granted, I'm just saying, maybe that was a really big deal that they got Frankie Sakai. Mm. Uh, if you don't know who Frankie Sakai is, uh, he was in Shogun. Uh, he was also uh, a detective in one of the best serial killer movies ever made, Vengeance is Mine. Oh, yeah. Um, it's uh, Seijin Suzuki, right? Vengeance is Mine? I don't think that was Seijin Suzuki. Who did, who did Vengeance is Mine? I don't know. <laughs> I thought I knew, and now I'm wondering: was it was it Seijin Suzuki? I don't. Hold on, I'm looking up. Vengeance is Vengeance is my 1979. Oh, then it wouldn't be Seijin Suzuki. <clears throat> no, it was Shohei Imamura. 
Uh, but oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's uh, based on a true story of a real life serial killer, and um, it is one of the bleakest serial killer movies you'll ever see. It's like right up there with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It's a great movie, but very, very dark. Very, very different from Mothra in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Fewer serial killers in Mothra. Alright. <clears throat> More musical it, numbers as well. It seemed to me like he was like an, an established character the way they presented it. I guess Maybe. it was just the star. It might have been a star. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, got, we already got the Peanuts. Mm. So uh, we, we got this guy. He's going to be joining the expedition. And the, the leader of the expedition is actually uh, a, a millionaire from a strange land. Mm. That is, is, uh, that's like if Russia and America fucked and that's kind of what they did they wanted to do a a, a story that incorporated sort of the uh, uh, other world superpowers but they didn't want to get in any trouble and not like potentially be able to like sell the movie overseas so they invented a new country Mm. just for the movie uh and it is um Oh, what is it called? It's uh, called... Um, I, I said Infinite. Oh, no. Um, uh, no uh, you're thinking of Infinite Island. I'm talking about the, Island, fake, um, the fake country. Yeah. Um, I forgot what it was as well. Oh, God damn it! I just had it in front. Rolasica. Roll, uh, Roll, that's it. Sica. It's, uh, it's Russian in America. Rolasica. Uh, and... Um, uh, okay. I, I kind of kind of hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's awkward. It's an awkward portmanteau. Hmm. Um but yeah, so he's. Oh, you know what? I want to correct myself for a second. What you got? Um, Yumi Ito and Emi Ito, the twins, are twins. They are twins. Uh, but in later Mothra versions, they hired sisters and posed them as twins. Oh, see you. So okay, I, so I, I kind of mixed them up. The so the, the 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 peanuts are actually twin okay. sisters. If you're writing us an email to so, correct us about I the correct. peanuts, stop. Yeah, it was just we screwed just up. Just looking over some information about the movie. Uh, I was looking up no. the name of the country, and yeah, we're all human. We made a mistake, but we corrected it before the end of the podcast, and I think we got away with it. Um, sorry about that. Anyway, they're going to go to this island. They're going to investigate the mystery. They go to the island, and it turns out the island they thought it was just going to be like a hunk of rock. There's a giant forest on it, hmm. and it's got all of these like really crazy, cool looking mushrooms. And a lot of cool noises and sounds. Yeah. I love the sound design in this movie. The sound design in this movie is wonderful. The colors in this movie really pop. There's some really wonderful color design, especially on Infant Island. Like, it's mm-hmm. a very pretty film. Um, wonderful widescreen photography as well. Um, when they're there, they finally encounter the locals. Uh, it turns out there's two groups of locals. Uh, there are the the just the, the typical people you might find on an island mm. in uh, in sort of Polynesia, the Philippines, uh, which is to say uh, Japanese actors in very offensive makeup. Yeah, yeah, brown face, the, a, lot brown face. a lot of brown face. There's a lot of brown face in there. Yeah, it's not it's not great, and this isn't the only time we're going to be seeing that. I mean. I, I understand you're emulating King Kong. Did you have to take that part too? Yeah, maybe we could have just not done that. Mm. Instead, we did that. Uh, but the other people on the island are uh, two uh, sort of magical creatures uh, who are, they, they call them fairies, but mm. I don't know if they're specifically fairies. They're certainly not like sort of the, the version that we might know well, with, the, with the sort of the butterfly wings. The, and The word they use is um, shobijin, which mm. is sort of a portmanteau of like, it, it's like... Uh, uh, little pr- little pr- beauties, pretty right? yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, small, yeah. small and beautiful. Yeah, uh, but basically they're they're very very tiny. They're like the size of Barbie dolls. 
Uh, and uh, they speak in a very musical way mm. that uh, all of a sudden well, this... this When, when yeah. we first hear them speak, it's like... Like a kind of a buzzing noise. Yeah, like almost, they, they don't yeah. speak a language. Or if they do, but maybe it's too fast or too yeah. high-pitched, and we our, our ears cannot conceive of it. Uh, at which point, the uh, the rich guy says, Oh my God, I know so many producers who could make movies with these. And he mm. grabs them. Yeah. <laughs> and he tries to take them away. And everyone's like, don't do that. And he's like... Fine, because now a bunch of the other uh, people from the island are surrounding them, and they're like, okay, fine, 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 fine. I won't kidnap these two women. Mm. Cut to <laughs> the next night. As he's kidnapped the women. He's yeah. kidnapped them, he's, he's, he's fucked off, uh, and uh, his plan is to put them into showbiz. It's exactly what happens in King Kong. They go to King, King Kong was a story, uh, the original King Kong from the 1930s. Uh, at the time when King Kong came out, uh, one of the most popular sort of blockbuster genres was a safari picture where they would send film crews hmm. to locales where they thought people in America, you know, living in suburbia or in urban areas yeah, might go, oh, never, I've never been there. Yeah, it was... It was uh, the exotic locale was a big, big picture in like the twenties and thirties. Yeah, and exotic and like, always has air quotes on this, yeah, by the way. Um, uh, and that's, um, that's where we got started getting phrases like "darkest Africa," yeah. um, which a lot of colonialist yeah. bullshit is what it is. Um, and and, uh, and yeah, the, this notion of you know the, the brave American or British mm-hmm. hunter uh, with their rifle would could could still conquer this land. Yeah, and, and, there were, and but that is kill the animals and and. And subjugate was, the locals. And to get this footage, because they weren't faking it, they, they would send film crews out to various countries or islands, uh, and they would tell of the adventures that the film crews had. And so King Kong is actually a very meta-narrative mm. about filmmakers basic, rather explicitly on the filmmakers of King Kong, getting an idea, we're going to go to one of these islands, get a whole bunch of cool footage, uh, and... While they're there, they find out that they're in way over their head and there are giant monsters there. There are giant you know, dinosaurs, there's a giant ape. And when they and they immediately go in guns a-blazing. Like, kill that herbivore! It was trying to kill us! Yeah, that's what we'll tell everybody. Mm. It was trying to kill us. And I'm like, that was a stegosaurus. They're pretty cool. What you doing? Um, you can tell the stegosaurus, like, oh, hey, humans, this is fun. Hello. Hey, you're not the nice humans. Ah! I always felt bad for that guy. Um, so shades of that in Mothra. And then they bring King Kong back. And mm. it was always absurd. To, even when I was a kid, it was always absurd to me that what they would do when they brought Godzilla back to, to America was to put him in a Broadway show. Yeah, so the live... Well, like, there's a history of live animal acts. There is, yeah. but he's gigantic. Mm. Like, how is that possibly I, safe? I like Just the, the uh, cleanup alone is impractical. They kind of... Like, they spoofed that on The Simpsons. They when they, uh, uh, We're going to put him on Broadway. Uh, so what's your plan for tonight, show mm. producer with this yeah. giant ape? Well, the ape's going to stand around for an hour or so. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's going to stand around for three hours or so, he says. Yeah. And then we'll close with a, a rendition of Dugan and Dershowitz. Yeah, with the comedy <laughs> stylings of Dugan and Dershowitz. And like, Broder's like, sensational. It's like, I, I, I appreciated that when Peter Jackson did uh-huh. his King Kong remake, the, they actually put on a show. Mm. 
Which is, of course, still horrible and ex- exploitative, and that is the whole point. But he did realize that if you're going to make a Broadway show out of this, mm. you're going to put on a show. Well, the problem you're competing is... competing with Busby Berkeley movies, for crying out loud. He was adapting it for a modern sensibility. Of course. And you, you look into, like... And I learned this kind of stuff from, like, reading Ricky Jay, who is, yeah. like, a, a fan of, like, obscure lost entertainments. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, the idea of, like, bringing an animal out and just having people look at it as mm. sort of... Uh, Part Broadway show, part scientific discovery is something yeah. P.T. Barnum was really fond yes, of. Yes, exactly. Um, Great. I mean, that's what happened to Pocahontas. They brought her to mm. England and it was basically, hey, look! Just display this person. And, yeah. and, and they'd give there, sort there of was, like a... There was an ogling factor uh, yeah, that was really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. Kind of a, a very pseudoscientific lecture as, you know, well, yeah. this is what's going on with this animal and yeah. everybody could sort of ooh and ah and feel or this a person, smart. Yeah, yeah, or a yeah. person. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that that's what was going on in King Kong. So what we're de- what we're dealing with here is a story about how a stand-in for America, and specifically American money, and specifically the American entertainment industry, has come to the uh, Isles of the Pacific Ocean mm. to take their culture and to put it on display and make a cheap buck off of it. By reducing the people involved and the art that they have made to shameless, superficial entertainment. Has anyone seen Varen the Unbelievable, the American Cup, by the way? Did anyone see Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the American Cup, by the way? (laughs) I'm looking at this movie and I'm thinking to myself, there is some commentary here about how Americans are importing our films and dubbing them and not treating them mm. very good and re-editing them. I, I think and maybe there's a there's a there's a subtle undercurrent going on. Maybe so, although uh, it occurs to me that Ishiro Honda probably doesn't care that much. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a conscious thing. It might have been mm. an unconscious thing. It might have been a, one of the yeah, writers like... had an idea and no one really questioned it and it mm. sort of filtered its way through. Uh, just because a film has a theme or subtext doesn't always mean it was intentional. Yeah. Sometimes these things kind of happen. Sometimes mm-hmm. you could even argue sometimes it's projection, but I would argue that if it's in the text, the projection is just as valid as any other interpretation. Yeah. As long as you're not bringing in things that aren't in the text in order to get there. But here I think they're all there. Mm-hmm. So on top of everything no, else that, in this movie... It's, it's, it's all fair. That's yeah. a totally fair interpretation. Yeah. And um, again, whether or not it's intentional... I don't know, yeah, but uh, it feels kind of intentional, yeah, and it's certainly I, an interesting lens through which to view it. I feel like Yashiro Honda is one of those filmmakers who is working so hard constantly mm-hmm. that he's not stopping to worry about the integrity mm-hmm. of something like Mothra. Well, he has certain themes that are coming through a lot of these. Mm-hmm. The uh, fear and anxieties of the proliferation of uh, science and of nature fighting back. Yeah, That is something that keeps coming up. So whether or not he's... You know, going to come around and say it out loud. It's mm. something he seems to care enough to keep making movies about. I suppose so. Uh, the, the the interpretation I got, and as we're recording this, uh, the WGA strike is still going on. Yeah. Um, it's still Writers not, Guild of America. Writers America. Guild of America. It's yeah. still not the longest in the Writers Guild history. That was the one in '87, but uh, we have some time for that. It's, but it's getting close, it's and not, um, it's, it's not as so long the, as you'd it, think. I think we might actually reach it this time. It, it's about uh, you know, sort of e- exploiting entertainment workers. Sure. Um, golly, what's this film about? Yeah. Uh, so that that's all I was thinking of. That it's not so much about um, hmm. nature fighting back so much as nature being a, a force of justice. Hmm. 
when it comes to the exploitation of entertainment labor, well, which is uh, what the peanuts are. Yeah, they are uh, they are exploited. They are kept in a cage. Mm. Uh, they are. Uh, put on stage in like this little magical golden chariot yeah, that a little, flies little from the back of the audience, like like the skeleton in a mm. William Castle movie. <laughs> and they put on a big elaborate number, and it's a hell of a show. And eventually, they can they can speak. They can start yeah. communicating with humans. Yeah, and it turns out that uh, uh, our reporter and his plucky uh, photographer friend, mm. and like the one scientist who was like actually like trying to do the right thing here. Oh, and um, who is the editor? Uh, oh yeah, he's yeah, yeah. T- Takashi Shimura shows yeah. up again. As, he's in as everything. Yeah. yeah, it's like Stan Lee in a Marvel movie. You never know what role he's going to play. Is he going to be he a has, scientist? He has going to be a... another scientist. Is going to be an editor. He, he's like Perry White. He has like this like yeah. little rinky dink role. He's only in a couple scenes, but yeah, there's yeah. bringing some dignity Takashi to it. Yeah, Shimura, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they vow they're going to help the Peanuts uh, escape, uh, but. They don't have a lot of time because it turns out that when the Peanuts, we're just going to call them the Peanuts, even though that's mm-hmm. not their character names. When the Peanuts were kidnapped from Infant Island, uh, the locals didn't like that very much. And they have been summoning in another elaborate dance number, their god. Their god lives in a giant egg and it's supposed to be summoned by elaborate dance numbers. Mm-hmm. And once it is summoned... It will do what needs to be done, and it starts and it to it, rescue its citizens. To rescue yeah. its citizens, and it's there's, a there's giant a... moth larva, which you've, mm. you've never seen. Uh, looks a lot like a caterpillar, but has distinctive features. Yeah. Um, pretty creepy looking. Very creepy. Uh, they're, they're creepy looking even when they're tiny. I have always thought caterpillars were just a creepy looking animal. Well, what's what's wrong with a two inch long living booger um, <laughs> with with legs? With legs. It's the legs that always freak me out. Like, why do you have legs? You don't even have bones. How do you do this? <laughs> Like what? It's so weird to me. Like I just, and I, I realize no one else cares. Everyone else thinks they're cute. I always just thought, like, but um, no judgment. Just mm. um, they uh, uh, so the the Mothra. Uh, spoiler alert: that name will be important later. Uh, starts swimming mm. towards uh, uh, Japan in order mm. to rescue the peanuts, and now oh crap, uh, we have to stop. Mothra, or do we? Because the inclination for the military and for this uh, millionaire who is uh, exploiting entertainment workers and trying to get away with murder, um, their inclination is to kill Mothra. Mm -hmm. Everyone else, our heroes, are saying, Mothra is the aggrieved party, we need to rescue the Peanuts, and then Mothra will stop attacking us. And that's the Big, big, big reversal that we get in Mothra. More so than anything else. And there's other interesting things about Mothra, but more so than anything else, this is the kaiju movie in this series Mm -hmm. where they finally said the monster's the hero. Yes. The monster needs to to stop. It it would be better if the monster stopped destroying our cities, but it's not the monster's fault. It's our fault. Mm -hmm. And in order to stop this, we need to not kill the righteous monster but to absolve ourselves of our sins which will actually become very literal Mm. uh, at the end of the movie um, because the millionaire takes the peanuts and flees the the Played by a Japanese actor, his mm. name is Jerry Ito, um, yeah. but the character is named Clark Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Clark Nelson mm. takes the peanuts and he flees to New Kirk City, the capital of Roliska. 
Rolasica, Rolasica. I can't even remember how to pronounce it. Yeah, he it's, worked. It's it's it's, it's America. It's I'll America. Say, okay? I'll say this: um, Jerry Ito, uh, born in, in the United States, born in New York, and and he mm. lived in uh, L.A. But as an actor, he worked pretty much mostly in in Japan. Yeah. Um, but playing characters like this. <laughs> um, it is Rolasica, by the way. Um, Rolasica. Uh, Rolasica. Right. Yeah, I'm probably pronouncing that slightly wrong, and for that, I apologize. Um, so for the first time in one of these kaiju movies, we see a kaiju attack America, sort of. The, uh, uh, ish. Yeah, they, they apparently they had some like stock footage, and they use, and this is also the film where they started using a lot of green screen projection or blue screen. I think it was back then. Well, they, so they a lot needed, of composite shots. Well, they needed that for the peanuts because they're yeah. you know, they're, they're three inches tall, so yeah. there needed to be a lot of forced, not just forced perspective, but mm-hmm. like there, there's a wonderful shot where we see a full sized person opening up the cage mm-hmm. door of like this little bird cage they're in. Yeah, and they're in the foreground and, it looks and pretty also good. interacting with the cage. So yeah. They, they were able to like layer those two images well. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of the shots, you know, you look at it now, and it's like we we could definitely make that cleaner. Well, I mean, we you just know, saw the more... flash. There's yeah. two of the lead uh, actor yeah. in that one, just yeah. opposite each other, and, and you it, never would notice. It, it's it's we've got to the point where even TV can do that just really seamlessly yeah. on a TV budget and and schedule. We've more or less perfected that now, uh, but um, yeah, it's a little you know a little new some of this tech mm-hmm. so. Uh, there is a lot of footage of, you know, what looks like um, stock or reused footage of Los Angeles that now has a few people superimposed on it going, oh no, Mothra, and running. Mm. Um, they, uh, they, they, they attacks New Kirk City, uh, and I want to talk about the finale because there was actually an interesting story about that. Uh, and then it's like, okay, well, we have to, we have to give Mothra the peanuts. But in, in order to shield the peanuts from Mothra and prevent Mothra from finding them, we had inventive an anti-telepathy box. Which, by the way, I see no holes in that thing. I don't know how they were breathing. But we have to, like, find well, a... You kill them, you stop yeah. their telepathy. <laughs> so uh, if we, uh, we need to find a place to safely deposit the peanuts mm. uh, in Mothra. Uh, so what they realize is that in order to get Mothra's attention, they use their knowledge of the local, uh, uh, the infant island writing. Uh, and it turns out there's a lot of symbology in it. One seems to be a symbol from Mothra. And another symbol, they get the idea from the churches in New Kirk City. Mm. And they realize that one of the symbols is a crucifix. A cross with the sun behind it. Yeah. yeah, very, very Christian imagery. And so they paint the giant one of those on, on an, air, an airfield. On, on an yeah. airfield. And they have all of the church bells chime at once, just mm-hmm. in case you didn't get it. And Mothra goes, Oh, are we being are we being churchy today? Well, I respect that. Hey, hey, peanuts. Great. Mm-hmm. And then it takes the peanuts and they fly off, and everyone's like, yeah, Moth- Woo! yeah Mothra is moth at that point because Mothra yeah. goes through it's like oh yeah like in Mo- tremors you don't you, oh, yeah. you kind of skipped over the whole, kind of skipped over the whole, whole part. cocoon part yeah, but, yeah like Mothra it looks like they've destroyed Mothra and then Mothra starts building a cocoon for itself mm. on a giant building the, the, and it, the larva Mothra yeah. and and the military which had been very gung-ho about killing Mothra is like well let's just wait until he builds a cocoon and emerges well, let's the, just wait the, uh, they not, could totally not knock over uh, Eiffel Tower. It's not the Eiffel Tower. It's not the, it it's looks like, like the Eiffel Tower, Tower, but it's yeah. um, 
and yeah, on the sort of remaining portion of the tower, um, Mothra builds the cocoon. Yeah. And that's when they bring in their super masers, their, their gigantic laser weapons. Oh, yeah. And uh, before Mothra has a chance to mm-hmm. hatch, they say, well, let's just start blasting. And they, mm-hmm. and they do, and they set it on fire. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mothra that's, that's when Mothra, Mothra comes out as a moth. I, I wouldn't have been articulated because I got the gist that um, you know, build a cocoon so you can be safe and warm and gestate, right? Mm. Maybe heating it up sped up that process. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. But yeah, Mothra is this big, beautiful monster with glowing eyes mm-hmm. and very colorful wings. And much like Rodan, when it flaps its wings, like buildings break and stuff. It's like creating sonic yeah. booms. There's a wonderful shot of just like Cars blowing around. Yeah, it's really, nice. really cool effect. Yeah, so I've, I skipped over the Mothra part, and that's that's embarrassing. I even said I get back to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Mothra fucks off, and everyone's like, "Whew!" Mm. And uh, the uh, the the millionaire gets his comeuppance, and everything's fine. Mm. Um, the finale of the destruction of Newkirk City uh, was apparently a point of contention, and Toho wasn't sure if they wanted to spend the money on it. Uh, however, it was something that the American investors wanted so that it would be an easier sell overseas. Toho apparently sent a request saying, hey, listen, we've got an idea, cheaper ending, more convenient for everybody. It's going to end on a volcano uh, and the millionaire is going to get flung into the volcano and it's going to be a whole thing. Mm. And while they were waiting for America to surely sign off on this, they started filming the ending. And then... I think it was Columbia sent back a, a message saying, it was Columbia, yeah. yeah, sent back a message saying, uh, no, we want that ending. Mm. And they're like, oh, shit. Okay, we'll film that instead. So there's this unused ending and they shot some, you know, stills for it and everything. Uh, however, when I mentioned that like the millionaire got thrown into a volcano, they threw a dummy over the mountain uh-huh. and they didn't pick him up. Oh no. <laughs> People found a body. <laughs> they thought <laughs> they thought someone had died. Oh, that's hilarious. And they got in trouble for it. Wow. This reminded me of a situation that happened on this pretty not very good, but you know, kind of charming in that late eighties kind of way, that mismatched buddy comedy cop movie way. Did you ever see Loose Cannons with Dan Aykroyd and Gene Hackman? Oh no, I didn't. There's a scene in this it, Gene Hackman is a very tough guy cop, and Dan Aykroyd is not. And they're going to be a mismatched pair, but they'll save the day. And there's a bit in that movie where they like, you know, they're cops. They're investigating like a murder and they're over a body. Um, someone in like a in like a dump or a landfill or something came across some like 35 millimeter footage that had like really rotted. And the footage that they were able to make out was from the scene where they found a body. Mm-hmm. They reported it. I think they thought it was a snuff film. Oh, no. It turns out it was just loose cannons. Oh, that's funny. Critics of loose cannons might be able to say something witty about that. But uh, I'll let that go. Um, so, yeah, Mothra is 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 really good. It is really good. It's yeah. It's stuff on its mind. It's really well filmed. It's, it's smart. It's, the uh, musical they, numbers really spice mm. up the joint. It gives it a lot of, like... It gives a lot of variety. Like the, the well, it, again, it has, the formula with Rodan and Varan, they were getting a little samey, mm-hmm. and just any excuse to switch it up, yeah, just was really welcome well, and made it just much more fun to discover. Yeah, and it has like because of its sort of varied locations, it has like it's just more exciting to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, curiously, the the name Mothra was derived from the English word for moth. Yeah, is uh, 
and, and in fact, uh, it's pronounced Mosura because there's no th sound in in Japanese. Mm. Uh, and the, the ra part was sort of derived from Gojira. Yeah, it, like that. That was sort of like associated with like large monsters now. Kind of like how in, in, in America we'll add Zilla to something. Exactly. Bridezilla, yeah. that kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, mo- yeah, Mothra. It's like Godzilla with... Yeah. Mo- and so they're clearly either going for, like, exotic international locales mm. uh, or they're trying to court an American audience. Mm. It turns out Mothra was released in... Uh, it was released in the United States as Mothra mm. by Columbia. But I think a, a different company ended up distributing the other Godzilla movies. So when Godzilla vs. Mothra eventually came out, they had to change the title to Godzilla vs. The Thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. it was already an English word. It was like clearly sort of already American facing and they t- mm. t- didn't use it after it. When they re-released it, that's or when they released the sequel, that is. Well, that's just ridiculous. Mm. Uh, this movie was released in America on a double bill, uh, you know, where they would release like two movies like together. Yeah, uh, not everywhere, but some places. Uh, really, with, really common back in the day. Yeah, right? with the other the other film, so you would see Mothra, this gorgeous, gigantic, mm. epic, and it's got everything. Mm. It's got comedy. It's got pathos. It's, it's long got, for as these things go. It's, it's, it's like an hour forty-one or something. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like it's a, it's over an hour and a half. So it's pretty epic by these <clears throat> movie standards. Great visual effects. Great monsters. The novelty of having like singing superstars in the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thoughtful. It's funny. Like, it's it's got everything. It's a great. It's it, with these. It, it's even got racism. So. Uh, <laughs> Oh god. Maybe didn't need everything, but it has everything. Uh the other film on the on the double feature was The Three Stooges in Orbit. Oh, that's a fun afternoon at the movies, isn't it? <laughs> it you know what? Whatever whatever they'll package them together with. No, right? There's there some really weird double features it's, out there. It's just some of the like some some <clears throat> of them make sense. There's like I, I eat your skin and I drink your blood. Are we're on a double bill together? That, that honestly makes sounds sense. like one film. Yeah, <laughs> I eat your skin. I drink your blood. Cool. Mm. What else is on the double bill? Yeah. No, no, no. That's. Um, what's the weirdest one you've seen? Uh, like two movies that were paired because sometimes it was pretty arbitrary. Well, I don't, okay, especially of drive-ins. Like yeah, one, one for the adults, one for the kids. So the only the only time I ever went to they, had, I don't think it was official. There was a movie theater. Uh, in where I I grew up in Pasadena and there was this great movie theater it's no longer there called The Pacific mm. The Pacific was a glorious movie theater it was this giant screen before those were very mm. popular and they had these instead of having like three sets of seats with like two rows in between mm. for convenience it was all long rows like oh, gigantic okay. like, like, like it's like you were seeing like a giant concert and it was great. It was glorious. I saw some of the best movies I've ever made there. Um, but they had a couple of rinky-dink smaller theaters like connected to it. Uh, and rinky-dink smaller theaters were things that weren't making a lot of money. And one time, and they never did this, they had a double feature. You could pay one ticket price and you'd see two movies. And they were the movies that were not doing well. And I said, I have to go see this. It's a double feature. I have to see this on principle. 
And my dad said, I will drop you off because I'm not seeing those movies. <laughs> that was the first time they ever did that. Hmm. And the movies were... Son of the Pink Panther. Mm-mm. With Roberto Benigni. With Roberto Benigni, which is a little better than people remember, but it's not a good movie. Uh, it's... It's not. It's, it's hardly not, it's, the worst Pink Panther movie. No, it's it's not a material, but yes, yeah. there are some real stinkers in that series. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like hovering That's, in the middle as far yeah, as yeah, which thing is, goes. says more about how bad the Pink Panther movie is than how good the Son of the, the Pink Panther, Panther is. Yeah. And the other one was Fatherhood with an apostrophe, and that was the whole thing where Patrick oh, Swayze right. was a I father, did. but he was also. Stick with me on this. A hood. A hoodlum, yes. He was a hoodlum. He was a ne'er-do-well. He did well ne'er. And this was a popular kind of subgenre in the 90s, like getting even with dad, where Macaulay Culkin found out his dad was like a like a bank thief or something played by Ted Danson. Um, much in, Very much in that vein. And it's like, oh, well, I'm a criminal, but I've got these kids, and I didn't know I had these kids, and now I have to raise these kids, but I'm a criminal, but I have these kids, and now I have to raise these kids, and I don't know how to raise these kids because I'm a criminal. And that's kind of the whole movie. The, the uh, I mean, Three Men and a Baby kind of popularized that. That was a big one. Know, the, that the, was big. That, that, was, that was a huge movie. And, People uh, do not remember how huge. Highest grossing movie of its year, yeah. I think it made I think it made staggering seven I think that movie came out I think yeah. it was the the highest grossing film Directed in America by Leonard Nimoy yeah. yeah yeah he was a hit machine Leonard yeah. Nimoy yeah because he also did Star Trek three and four and those were both yeah. big hits Huge four hits. was the biggest one yeah four was I think yeah. it's still the biggest one uh, he also did um, did another didn't he do like Multiplicity or something no like that some was other... no that was Harold Ramis. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, he did. On. He did some other like notable comedy he, film. He did. Year, he did also like a pretty crappy one, um, which hmm. was um, the one where Patricia Arquette married Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but he was like a kid. Oh, Holy Matrimony! Holy Matrimony! Yeah, yeah nobody, nobody talks about oh, that. Yeah. Oh, hold on, I'm gonna look up. <laughs> this, somehow we made this about Star Trek. Everybody, good job. <laughs> Go us. We managed it. It's late. I've forgotten where we even left from. Just uh, we, we created we a whole Star Trek podcast on our Patreon. Mm. Um, let's see here. Anyway, Mothra. the Good Mother with Diane Keaton and Liam Neeson. Oh, he directed that. Funny about love with Gene Wilder. Holy matrimony. Uh, I think only Matchroom was the last one he directed. Yeah, like mainstream Hollywood comedies. That was kind of his. Yeah, bag, yeah, yeah. Bag but like, director, but like seriously, yeah. Three Men and a Baby was a monster. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that 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 created that whole subgenre of mm. it, men, men have, with men, babies. Men have. Oh, well, I, I guess Mr. Mom came along before that. But That's yeah, true. This, this yeah. idea of like men being domestic mm-hmm. uh, is inherently this, funny. This big sort of cultural shift. Yeah. The, the the sensitive new age man was kind of like a, well, the, a big cultural you know, moment. For feminism a was there. becoming more mainstream, thank God. Mm. Uh, and as a result, there was a lot of people like, wouldn't it be funny if we switched the roles? Yeah, like but, women want to have a man's well, job, but what if a man get this? Mm. What if a man had a woman's job and a well, woman's job is in the home for king raising kids? Well, yeah. He's not well equipped for that. How could a man? A man could never. We had a lot of we had both sides of that as well because yeah. there were a lot of movies about uh, women in professional places, yeah. like something like Working Girl, yeah, um, or, or to, feds. To, to, feds to a different degree. Uh, yeah. Broadcast news, uh, yeah. you know, mo- movies about wi- women rising in sort of corporate 
air yeah. spaces. Yeah. And yeah, men being domestic. How did we get on this? I have no idea. I don't remember. I don't We've know. We've got to stop recording at 1 a.m. Yeah, it's 1 a.m. and we're, we're just <laughs> we're sort of off on tangents. Completely loopy. Anyway. I like a lot. Mothra's a lot. <laughs> Mothra, honestly, honestly, outside of the original Gojira, which has just mm. captured my heart and my mind. Uh, this is my current favorite of the ones that we've done so far. It's just got everything. It's just, it's a, it's really entertaining. It's never boring. The main characters, like the human characters are interesting. Mm. Like our lead reporter, he's, uh, he's funny, but he's also very capable. He's actually just like kind of an interesting, fun protagonist. Um, I like his, uh, photographer, uh, sort of girl Friday, uh, type character. She's, She's got a lot of fun gags, like with her. With, she, she's really good at taking like photography on the slide. She's got fun gags with that. Um, the villain is kind of fun because mm. he's just such an asshole, and it's, we haven't really had like a major human villain yet. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. He um, really added a, a nice element to it. Yeah, this film. Uh, one of the dancers, because when they uh, mm. summon Mothra. Uh, there's this mm. kind of elaborate dance. There's like yeah. 50 dancers, and they're all dancing at once. Yeah, one of very those much dancers, like the dance number from King Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of those dancers was an actor named Bin Furuya. Mm. And Bin Furuya, look up his filmography. First of all, he's probably best known to the world as Ultraman. <gasps> <laughs> the Ooh. actor who played Ultraman was one of the dancers That's exciting. in Mothra. Yeah. And he played... Different characters in most of the Godzilla movies. No shit. In like little tiny supporting roles. He like would crop up in the back, rarely yeah. ever highlighted. Like you right. maybe wouldn't even recognize it. Well, it's amazing to me how many times they did that. And again, for the most part, these movies haven't all been directly interconnected yet. Yeah. Like, just because the same actor appears in these movies, he's playing a different guy because it's a different reality. It wouldn't be until later that they would suggest that all of these monster movies kind of took place in the same universe. Mm. Um, But it must have been kind of funny to see them just keep popping up over and over again Hmm. in slightly different roles. Um, Yeah, Mothra. Please see Mothra. See Mothra. It's really good. It's so good. Mm. It's a really excellent film. I kind of wish that some of these, uh, like... Technicolor, really nice looking mm. uh, uh, kaiju movies were included in that uh, Criterion box with all the Godzilla movies. Yeah, Mothra is weirdly, even though like you can see some of the other like Toho sci fi monster movies on mm. the Criterion channel, which has a lot of those Godzilla movies right now, mm. they don't have Mothra. I don't know why. Maybe it's, it's a, it a should de- be. Maybe it's a deal with Columbia because Columbia, you know, distributed in the United States. Maybe I, that I know can be that's le- for, for legal reasons. These movies don't get distributed evenly. Usually, when people say like, "Hey, why hasn't this ever been on so and so?" They don't know who owns the rights, or there's yeah. an argument over who owns the rights, or someone who owns the rights wants too much money. Uh, I remember yeah. um, working at uh, at the New Art Theater and how uh, we like to book midnight movies. Yeah, and. We, all, we had to know who owned the distribution rights to whoever it was. It wasn't necessarily the studio. Like Warner yeah, Brothers didn't necessarily yeah. have the distribution rights to Warner Brothers movies. Exactly. So you had to know and who to they, ask. So uh, luckily, you know, movie theater, they know who to ask. They have got contacts. And there were some movies we wanted to show, but we didn't know who to ask. We didn't yeah. know who... Um, Transformers the movie, the animated yeah. film from 1986, was yeah. one that we always wanted to book. Good nostalgia factor for a film like that. And my solution was book it and see who shows up. Yeah. To stop you. Who, who says, who, hey, you didn't pay us ma- any money for this. Who mails you yeah. the cease and desist letter? Now we know. 
And so I have a feeling that's probably what's. Uh, I wish someone would do that with the live action Spider Man series in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Nicholas Hammond. There were two very successful TV seasons of a live action Spider Man TV series in America. There's the Japanese version, which is very successful. Mm. But in America, there was a live action primetime series along the lines of Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk that did great ratings, but the network was like, we don't want to be the superhero network. Mm. Like, it gets great ratings, but that with, like, younger people, and we're not interested in that demographic, which sounds nuts to me now. They, they wanted variety. I understand that. I, I get it. Know? It just seems kind of weird. It seems like you've already got a hit. Why are you looking at gift toys in the mouth? Well, you, you were raised with 80 channels of t- cable TV. You know? well, there, when there first. were five networks, it was different. I understand. Anyway, um, but regardless, you know, I, the, I think it was CBS who had it. CBS is not Disney. So it might be a tricky thing about who actually owns the rights to that Spider-Man show. Maybe we'll never get that uh, properly cleaned up. But by God, there's YouTube. <laughs> and thank you for it. But Mothright you, you can rent it uh, for a couple of bucks on a variety of different streaming services. And it's totally worth it. Uh, please check it out if you haven't. It's 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 great. It's it's no Vera. It's no Varan. It's it's yeah. really quite excellent. Uh, next time, Godzilla's back. Yay, Godzilla's back. I love him. He's cool. He's a good the, guy. It's the same one that was trapped inside an iceberg. Yeah, like we're not going to replace a Godzilla no, every single it's, time. It's the same one this time. Right? Yeah. and I think it's going to be the same one here on out for a while. Solid and, while. Yeah. And who does he versus? He versus is King Kong. Yeah, it's King Kong versus Godzilla. Yep, which is kind of like a really giant matchup for a movie. Oh yeah, it was a big deal. It's a big deal. I remember hearing legends of this movie when I was a kid because it wasn't really available. Mm. But did you hear King Kong actually fought Godzilla? It was canon. Holy crap. was indeed. And uh, King Kong was Frankenstein. But we'll get to that. That's a long... There's a long story. There's a lot going on this, is, this movie. This movie does not exist in a vacuum. There's going to be a lot of ground to cover. Weird tales to tell. Uh, and that's coming up on the next Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. If you are listening to this episode on the main podcast feed, that episode about King Kong versus Godzilla is already up on the Patreon. You can listen to it right now. Uh, if, on the other hand, listening to on the Patreon, you got to wait a week. That's life. But at least you don't get to listen to you don't have to listen to ads mm. because on Patreon you don't have to listen to our new shows with ads. You get episodes of Thank Godzilla. It's Friday a week early, and you get a whole bunch of exclusive shows, including our Star Trek podcast, uh, all our yesterdays. You review every single episode of Star Trek in order. Uh, only the best. We're gearing up to do a new episode in which we're going to be covering uh, all of the best picture nominees of 52, 52 1952. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge deep dive podcast. Really big back catalog for that as well. We commentary tracks. We got a trivia night coming up. Uh, we're doing a whole bunch of fun stuff over at our Patreon. Thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we could not do this. I would also like to give a very special shout out uh, to the patron who noticed in the first version of this podcast that we accidentally said the next film coming up was Atragon. Oh, we the, were wrong. The, no, the, this is a new version. This is a totally new version of the, the ending is, of this podcast. This is a, uh, with a few new surprises. This is a special edition. <laughs> There's a do back behind me right now. Um, <laughs> in the original Patreon version of this podcast, the last like minute was different because we accidentally f- forgot that King Kong vs. Godzilla was before Atragon. So mm. if you've by any chance have heard both versions, that's you got, you got to hear an exclusive mistake. I, I own my mistakes. Whoopsie daisies. Mm. There we go. But uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, please leave us a review if you haven't already. That really helps a lot. Just a star rating at one sentence. 
be honest, you don't have to give us five stars. I get it. But whatever you feel is fair. I, I, I We're critics. We can handle it. Uh, we're also... Uh, uh, you can also email us if you want to talk to us about anything we discussed in this episode or anything else. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And, of course, we are also on Twitter. We are at Critic Acclaim, because Critically Acclaimed was too long, apparently. I, myself, am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. I, I just asked to join Blue Sky. Ah, I'm still waiting for my invite to Blue yeah, Sky. My, my, uh, my invite has not arrived yet. Someday. But in any case, thank you, everybody, once again, for listening. Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. And never forget... Rah!